Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I strongly believe that it is possible to have a long and happy and fulfilling career as a private school leader, and my passion is to help you figure out exactly how to do just that, right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. So on this podcast, I get to talk about my favorite things, talk about leadership and growth mindset and talking about empathy and listening and working with teachers, working with parents. But on today's episode, I'm going to talk about one of my least favorite things to talk about, and that is student discipline and classroom management. And there is a big difference between classroom discipline and classroom management. And I just want to lead by saying you may be super happy with the level of school-wide classroom management at your private school, but maybe it has some room for improvement, or maybe you're a new leader that has inherited a situation that's not the greatest, or maybe you just want to try something new because you're not very happy with the school-wide classroom management that you are experiencing. Well, on today's episode of the Private School Leader Podcast, I'm going to share with you a plan for school-wide classroom management that I have been using for over 20 years in two very different schools with two very different student demographics, and this plan has been pretty successful for students aged 3 years old to 18 years old. So I've seen that with my own eyes over the course of 20 years, and I'm going to share that plan with you today. But before we get into that, I'd like to give you a gift to say thanks for listening to this podcast. You're a busy, busy person, and the fact that you take time out of your week to listen to the podcast is awesome. It means a lot to me. And so I want to give you this free guide called Five Strategies to Help You Work with Difficult Parents. And we know that working with parents is part of the job, and most of our parents are great, but some of them are demanding and difficult. And this guide will give you the tools you need to build better relationships and have better meetings with those difficult parents at your school. So go to theprivateschoolleader.com parents to grab the guide. And thanks again for listening every week. And that is five strategies to help you work with difficult parents as a gift to you over at theprivateschoolleader.com parents. So, Today we are going to talk about this classroom management plan that I have seen, as I said, for over 20 years. And it's not perfect, but I've leaned on one book that I discovered around the year 2000 or 2001, and that book is called The First Days of School by Harry K. Wong and Rosemary Wong. And I'll link that in the show notes that you can get at the private school leader dot com slash episode 28 the first days of school by harry k wong and rosemary wong and specifically the chapter on classroom management and the importance of teaching and rehearsing classroom procedures and routines and having some school-wide classroom procedures and routines and this chapter is about a hundred pages but honestly in my career, which is now 31, 32 years, I have not come across a better tool or resource than this chapter in this book. 
And to kind of elaborate on that, I want to tell you about what I did in the fall of 2002 with my staff at my school. So as the head of school, I, over the course of the previous two years, had decided I was unhappy with the school-wide classroom management. At that time, we had around 500 students in our school in pre-kindergarten through 12th grade. And so I started to do some research and I found this book, The First Days of School. And I was so impressed with what was going on at some other schools and watched um, some DVDs and things of that nature that I decided we were going to implement the plan school-wide. And so I bought every teacher a copy of the book. Our school purchased the book for every teacher. And our August in-service was two full days of our in-service was on implementing school-wide classroom management by using the chapter on classroom management from the book, The First Days of School. And ever since the fall of 2002, every single teacher that I've hired when they're new to my school, whether it was my first school or my current school, I've made sure that we've purchased a copy of that book for them. And over the years, I've found most people actually already have the book from their, when they were in college, but I make sure that every single one of them has this book. And so before we jump into me kind of explaining this, I want to just give a disclaimer. I am not a classroom management expert. I am not a child psychologist. I am not a behavior management expert. All I can say is, is that I've seen this work for over 20 years in two different schools with very different demographics with three-year-olds to 18-year-olds. So I'm just going based on my experience. And the last thing I'll say as another disclaimer is, is that you may be very happy with what's going on at your school right now. I hope that you can still get some value from this, but if you're considering tweaking or changing or maybe a wholesale switch uh, because you want to improve the classroom management at your school, then hopefully this episode will give you what you need to be able to do that. So let me paint this picture for you. In my school, the first school I was at in my current school, especially in fourth through eighth grade, students will go from class to class and there will be a do now on the board. They'll walk in, they'll sit down, and they will get to work right away on the do now. There isn't a bunch of sitting on the desks and throwing paper and running around the room and the teacher shouting over them to get them into their seats. They go from class to class to class. They walk in, there's a do now on the board. They sit down and they get to work. Another thing that you'll see is we have a school-wide way of getting everyone quiet that we use called Give Me Five. And many of you are probably familiar with that. And once a month, we have an all-school service in the gym where there's usually our whole student body and about 100 parents, so about 400 people. And if I'm asked to do dismissal at the end of the service, I can do Give Me Five and I can get 400 people quiet in about six or seven seconds because everybody knows what Give Me Five means. And we've rehearsed that procedure hundreds of times. We have school-wide expectations uh, I believe that our students need to be emotionally safe before they can learn anything. And children crave predictability and support. 
And these school-wide and classroom procedures provide that predictability. Our students know exactly what they are supposed to do and what they're supposed to do next. Now, I'm not saying they always do that. I work with fourth through eighth graders, tweens and teens. They don't always do what they're supposed to do, but they know what they're supposed to do. And most of the time they follow the classroom procedures and the school-wide procedures. So I just want to touch on the difference between classroom management and discipline. So classroom management, this is a quote from the book, quote, classroom management consists of the procedures that a teacher establishes to create and maintain an optimum teaching and learning environment. And so just very specifically to break that down for a moment, the word discipline is not in there anywhere. It is that the teacher establishes a set of procedures that they're consistent and it creates an optimum learning environment and they manage the classroom. That's why I love the phrase classroom management, not a big fan of classroom discipline. We'll talk about the role that discipline plays briefly later on, but discipline is almost not necessary. It's let's put it this way. Discipline is more rare and less needed when there is good or excellent classroom management school-wide. So what are some of the characteristics of a well-managed classroom? Well, I'm taking this right from the book, The First Days of School. The characteristics of a well-managed classroom, number one, students are deeply engaged with their work, especially with academic teacher-led instruction. Number two, students know what is expected of them and are generally successful. Number three, there is relatively little wasted time confusion or disruption. And number four, the atmosphere of the classroom is work-oriented, but relaxed and pleasant. So I probably just described a lot of you, your schools, and your classes in your schools. But also for some of you that might be like, wow, that would be great if that was my school. So how do we get there? Well, before we before I start to talk more specifically about the procedures and routines, I just want to take the time to talk about the difference between a reactive teacher and a proactive teacher. Because a reactive teacher does not use procedures that they rehearse until they become routines, and a proactive teacher does use classroom and school-wide procedures that they rehearse until they become routines. So those words, reactive and proactive, I'm sure you've heard those before. In the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People with by Stephen Covey, habit number one is be proactive. So I'm just going to describe a reactive teacher and just kind of just listen and kind of let this just kind of wash over you a little bit and just paint this picture so that you can see the difference. A reactive teacher. Very few plans or procedures, or none, reacts to every misbehavior, talking or shouting over the kids to get their attention, while well-behaved students sit, wait, and watch. The teacher gets the kids quieted down and starts to teach. Kids get quiet until someone makes a funny comment or calls out, and then the whole cycle starts all over again of shouting over the kids to get their attention, get them quiet so that this teacher can teach. Eventually, the teacher gets frustrated and starts scolding, yelling, and threatening consequences. 
the reactive teacher goes home exhausted and frustrated and stressed out. Now, the proactive teacher. The proactive teacher understands the difference between proactively managing a classroom and reacting to student behaviors. This teacher knows that 80% of student misbehavior is a result of not having clear procedures and routines. When students don't have a clearly stated plan for what they are supposed to do, those students will do what comes naturally to them, which is most of the time talk or goof around. A proactive teacher has plans and procedures. Their procedures are always clearly posted. They rehearse the procedures until they become routines. A do now or bell work is always on the board when the students walk into the room. They have one consistent way to get the students' attention, and when they give that signal, they never talk over the students before they get quiet. And this teacher is tired at the end of the day, but they are not frustrated and super stressed out and exhausted as they leave because the students did the work. The students are supposed to work hard. Our teachers work hard. But the reactive teacher is doing so much of that threatening and and the cycle of getting them quiet that um, it just really wears them out. So we've got our reactive teacher and our proactive teacher. Now, you may think I just described a brand new teacher and a veteran teacher, but I did not. I've seen first-year teachers be proactive and have procedures and routines in place and have some of the best classroom management in the school. But I've also seen veteran teachers stuck in that loop of being reactive and they have poor classroom management. And one last thing about the reactive and the proactive teacher, and it has to do with the first day of school, which is the most important day of the school year. A reactive teacher starts teaching content on the first day of school And a proactive proactive teacher uses the first few days of school to teach and rehearse classroom procedures because that teacher knows that they will get a huge return on that time investment later down the line. So how do we get there? Well, I've used this word before, and the key in all of this is the word procedures. Now, we have procedures in life. Airport Security TSA. You know that there's a line that forms. When you get up there, you're supposed to take off your shoes, put things in this bin, stand in the thing while it spins, walk through, get your things. There's a procedure. If there were no procedures, it would be complete chaos. There are procedures in an elevator. Okay? Hear me out. Um, You walk into an elevator. If someone else gets on the elevator, you move to the back or to the side. You don't stand right in front of the buttons because that person needs to push the button. If someone behind you is getting off, you step to the side. There are unspoken procedures in life. There's unspoken procedures in an elevator. There are even procedures at the end of a wedding. You've probably been to a few weddings, maybe a lot of weddings. At the end, the bride and groom leave first. The wedding party leaves next. And then the ushers let, one at a time, starting at the front with the family of the groom and family of the bride, have them walk back to the receiving line at the back of the church or hotel room or wherever this wedding took place for the um, reception line. 
So there are procedures in life for almost everything. And so why should our classroom be any different? And I want to talk for a moment about the difference between procedures and rules. The major challenge, quote, this is a quote from the book, quote, the major challenge in the classroom is not enforcing discipline. It is establishing procedures that eliminate the need for discipline. Let me hit you with that one again. The major challenge in the classroom is not enforcing discipline. It is establishing procedures that eliminate the need for discipline. And so this is a slight paraphrase of a quote from Harry K. Wong, but a rule is a dare to step over a line, but a procedure is something that we do. And I've said that probably once a week for the last 20 years. A rule is a dare to step over a line, but a procedure is something that we do. So we don't have a lot of classroom rules that are posted. I don't really like the word rule that much. We have a lot of classroom procedures that are posted everywhere. A rule is a dare to step over a line, but a procedure is something that we do. Discipline is based on rules. Classroom management is based on procedures. And so I'll hear my teacher say, well, what is the procedure? And then the student, we're also building capacity for the student's individual responsibility by instead of just doing everything for them, and when they ask the question, well, where do I put this piece of paper um, when I'm done with it, this worksheet? Or where do I put, where do I find what I missed yesterday? Well, you could either have your teachers tell them, answer that question every day for the rest of their careers, or you could have those be some of the classroom procedures, and then the teacher just says, what is the procedure, or just gestures towards the classroom procedures that are posted. And what you'll find is after the first time, those kids, pretty much regardless of their age, but for sure in second, third grade and up, um, with things that they do themselves, and you'd be shocked at even three-year-olds through second, third grade, how much they can do by following classroom procedures on their own. And that's because the teachers are going to rehearse them until they become routines and the children don't even realize that they're doing it. They're just following procedures. A procedure is simply a method or a process for getting things done in a classroom. Again, a procedure is simply a method or process for getting things done in a classroom. Rules dictate how we behave, how students behave. Procedures determine how things are done. Rules have penalties and rewards. Procedures have no penalties or rewards. With a procedure, if the procedure isn't followed, you just do the procedure again until you do it correctly. That's not a consequence. That's just following the procedure. So then all these power struggles about like, um, getting into it with a student about a rule and I didn't do, I didn't break the rule and blah, 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 blah. It's like, what is our procedure? What is the procedure? You're not even getting into the back and forth. You're just directing them to the classroom procedures that exist. And I have a saying in our school, at my school that I say probably, I don't know, once a week, that if one of our students knows what they're supposed to do, they almost always do it but our students need to know what to do. And I mentioned rehearsing procedures until they become routines. I wanna give you a couple of examples of that. First of all, my, social, my middle school social studies teacher, his office is right next, excuse me, his classroom is right next to my office. And he had sixth graders for a social studies class and seventh graders were coming in at the class change. 
And the seventh graders know that the procedure for entering that classroom is to wait and stand off to the side until all students exit the room, and then you walk into the classroom. So he didn't like the fact that they weren't following the procedures because some of the seventh graders were kind of pushing into the classroom and pushing past sixth graders that were trying to get out of the classroom. And he could have yelled and given them a lecture and then started with the teaching. But what he did was once the seventh graders were in the room, he took them back out in the hall and then they rehearsed the procedure and then they started class. And then for the rest of the year, and I know because I, like I said, where I'm located and I have big windows um, on the in, built into the walls of my office, I can see what happens, you know, in that little spot there with them coming and going. Uh, that was probably the last time that the seventh graders tried to push past the sixth graders. So like I said, it could have been yelling and lecturing and scolding and threatening and you better not do this again or the next time you're going to have a detention or blah, blah. Uh, why? Just what is the procedure? Let's rehearse the procedure. There's another procedure at our school that students in fourth through eighth grade, they change classes on their own. They're not walked to a class by their teacher. And the procedure is you don't enter a classroom where there is no teacher. You line up along the wall and you wait quietly for the adult to come to the room. And so we rehearsed that procedure on the first day of sixth grade, just as a reminder. And honestly, that's it. Every once in a while, I'll see students that are going into a room where there's no teacher, but very rarely. And like I said, they don't even realize that they're doing it. They, the first person, usually the, usually the first person to the class is one of the more responsible pulled together students. And that's why they're first one there. And so that helps because then they see that there's no adult in there and then they just stand out in the hall against the wall. And then the others that come along, you'll hear the first or second kid say, is she not here yet? Or is he not here yet? No. And then they'll just line up and then they just stand there and they wait. And it might be because teachers, not, not all of the teachers at my school teach in the same room. They move around. Some of them are coming back from a duty or from a break or whatever. And so with best intentions, not every teacher is always in the classroom right when the class period begins, but we have a procedure that keeps everyone safe so that kids aren't in a room unsupervised and um, they have rehearsed that procedure until it became a routine and now they don't even think about it. So it might feel time consuming. It might feel like a waste of time at the beginning of the school year to spend time on rehearsing procedures until they become routines but that couldn't be further from the truth. You will get back all that time times 10 because you're not dealing with all of those little micro, uh, you know, those little micro, I don't want to call them microaggressions, but all of those little small um, things where they're not following the rules. And then it's just this aggravation back and forth, scolding, reminding, telling, why not just rehearse it at the beginning until it becomes a routine and then almost without exception the kids are going to do what they're supposed to do okay so i want to give you a couple of examples of classroom procedures and some school-wide procedures and then talk about a couple of other things of how to implement this and then we'll wrap it up so some examples of classroom procedures what do you do at the start of the period or the start of the day so students walk in at the beginning in the morning into morning homeroom what are the procedures um, they walk into the class at the beginning of third period. What's the procedure? 
you walk in, you sit in your assigned seat, you take out your notebook and you start on the do now, for example. Quieting the class is another example of a classroom procedure, but that's also a school-wide procedure. Um, we do give me five. And you would think that sometimes middle school kids or maybe high school kids at my previous school would find that baby-ish or annoying. They don't really care. They just get used to it. And if you've been doing it for years at the school, the kids right now at my school goes up to eighth grade. The ones who are in eighth grade, they've been doing it since they were in preschool. And so it kind of isn't a thing to them. But, you know, just raising your hand and counting one, you say, give me five. And then you go one two, three, four, five, and most of the time they'll be quiet before you get to five. And then the key is to not talk over the students. There are times, I mentioned before when I'm in a room with 400 people, there, there have been a couple times where I've had to say, give me five the second time and then start counting. But quieting the class is an example of a classroom procedure. Another is when a student has a question or needs help from the teacher, what do they do? Do they call out? Do they raise their hand? Do they hold up one finger? Do they, you know, what do they do? Um, when a student needs to go use the restroom, what's the procedure? Um, movement of students inside the room. Um, when are they allowed out of their seat? What parts of the room are they allowed to go to? Passing in papers. Are they passing up papers from back to front and whapping the person in the head? Or do they pass them to the left or to the right, and then the teacher just walks up the side and picks up the papers. Um, dismissal at the end of the day or class at the end of the day. And I just want to pause and acknowledge something. This probably sounds like, oh my goodness, so many procedures, like how on earth could we think of all of this? How on earth would we have the time to do all of this? I'm telling you that it takes less time than you think. Almost all of it is so intuitive. Um, the book that I mentioned helps a lot because it gives a lot of examples. And if they just, at the beginning of the year, if your teachers, and that's why it's good, in my opinion, to have classroom procedures, let's just say in the intermediate school, that are the same for fourth and fifth grade across all their classes, so that it's not a different procedure when they walk in the room and, and every part of the day all day long. Um, but it's, it's not as tedious, it's not as heavy of a lift as it sounds, and then, again, you're going to get all that time back um, because you're not going to have all of these questions, all of these uh, things where it's noncompliance, and you're going to increase student emotional safety because of the predictability and support, and you're going to reduce your need for discipline because you've increased your classroom management significantly. Um, a couple examples of school-wide procedures. Um, when kids walk in the stairwell, let's say they're going from... Our lunchroom is on the first floor. Middle school is on the third floor. Let's say that they're going from the lunchroom up to the third floor for class. Single file, right-hand side, quietly. Okay. Um, I already mentioned students don't enter a room that has no teacher. And then another example of a school-wide procedure is we have a blue metal box at recess. And that's the recess ball box. And kids know that at the end of a recess that they bring everything back to the box and then a teacher is responsible for closing the lid and locking the padlock. And so if kids are just leaving the balls out everywhere, 
there's not a lot of like scolding and reminding and whatever. It might be for a few days, hey, Johnny, can you go get that ball for me, please? You know, that kind of thing. Kids aren't perfect. They're not noticing things. They're not noticing that ball that's there. But here's my point. If it gets to the point where it becomes kind of a problem, then the teachers will just pause at the end of recess and be like, okay, let's rehearse this procedure. And everyone gets a ball and they put it back in. And then you've got a couple months from then where kids are just going to do the procedure because it has become a routine because it's been rehearsed so much. So those are some examples of school-wide procedures. Um, a few that are really important procedures, in my opinion, um, greeting students by name at the door. That should be a that should be a procedure for all your teachers, in my opinion. There's a lot of research to support how students feel heard and seen when you greet them by name when they walk into your classroom. Um, our teachers uh, do that, and um, I believe it's made a big difference in our school um, in what I've seen in fourth through eighth grade. Um, I'm a big believer in a do now on the board, and whether you call it a bell ringer or a, a do now or bell work or problem of the day or a warm up, I don't care. Um, Dr. Wong says your first priority when class starts is to get students to work. So again, just trying to paint those two pictures, kids with no procedures on how to start a class and no do now on the board, they come in, what are they going to do? They're going to be in clusters of friends talking. They're not going to be at their assigned seats. Their noise level is going to continue to rise when the teacher decides it's time to start the class then they're going to have to talk louder than the students to get their attention. If they don't have a way to get their attention, be it a chime or, you know, they're doing all these different things, flicking the lights and doing all this stuff, yelling over the kids, trying to come on, come on, come on, get, get in your seats, blah, blah. And that's one way of doing it. Sounds pretty frustrating and exhausting to me. But another way to do it is to have a do now on the board and rehearse the procedure with kids that when they go from class to class to class, that they walk in, they sit down, they open their notebook. I observe my teachers a lot, um, at least three times a year, and each of my teachers, and then I'm also popping into the classrooms fairly frequently. Um, I see this happen all the time where kids will walk in, they don't even realize, they go to their assigned seat, they open their notebook, and they start working on the do now. It's it's not a, it's not a conscious thing. It's a subconscious thing that they just do because they've been doing it for so long. And so um, I've seen it with my own eyes and it's just awesome how they maximize the teaching time and that these procedures and routines minimize the interruptions and the silly questions. There is such thing as a silly question. Um, and that's if kids just ask every day for the whole school year, where should I put my um, paper when I'm done with it. That, that's completely avoidable. Um, just a couple more to wrap it up. Classroom procedures should be clearly posted in every room. Um, again, predictability and support. They always know what to do. You can give reminders just by pointing at it. Um, it reduces that power struggle with a student. Remember, a rule is a dare to step over a line, but a procedure is something that we do. Um, one of my daughter's friends is a new teacher at a private school and doesn't have a lot of experience, didn't have a student teaching experience. Um, and with the post-pandemic, um, you'll see more and more teachers who have a bachelor's degree and some background working with kids, but don't necessarily have a student teaching experience. And so I agreed to do a little bit of uh, coaching with her 
offered actually. And I just said, look, you know, if you have clearly stated classroom procedures that you rehearse until they become routines, then when someone is off task, you can just say, what is the procedure and gesture towards the poster? And when I checked back in with her various times during the year, that was working really well with 10th and 11th graders for a novice first year teacher. Um, another one is a school-wide way to get everyone quiet. I already told you about Gimme Five. You might get the most pushback on this from your teachers, especially your teachers of middle school and high school, because they're going to think that you're treating them like a baby. Um, it works, but just make sure you never talk over them until they're quiet. So many of you, like I said at the top of the episode, you are at a school where you're very happy with your school-wide classroom management. But if you're not, happy with your school-wide classroom management, I would just like for you to consider this plan. Um, in the book, The First Days of School by Harry K. Wong and Rosemary Wong, the chapter on classroom management is 106 pages. And I believe that that one chapter can revolutionize classroom management at your school. It did for me 20 plus years ago. And I've been pretty much following that same plan ever since. Like I said, 20 years, two different schools that are very different, two different student demographics, three-year-olds through 18-year-olds, I've seen it work. Will you need teacher buy-in? Yes. Will this be a lot of hard work? Yes. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. So what are the big takeaways from today's episode? Well, if you think that your school has room for improvement with your school-wide classroom management, then I would ask you to consider the power of implementing school-wide procedures and routines. Remember that there is a big difference between classroom management and discipline. Some of your teachers are reactive and some teachers are proactive. A rule is a dare to step over a line, but a procedure is something that we just do. And a do now at the beginning of a class, having a procedure that kids come in and get to work right away is incredibly powerful. And if we have clearly stated procedures that we rehearse until they become routines, some of them classroom and some of them school-wide, it can create a very predictable and supportive environment with much fewer discipline issues in your school. So what's your call to action for today? Well, it is to reflect on the current state of classroom management at your school. And number two, if it has room for improvement, consider implementing school-wide procedures that you will rehearse until they become routines. So let's wrap it up. I hope you got value from this episode. Just a quick reminder about the free resources for you as a school leader over at the privateschoolleader.com resources. And one of those that I mentioned before is the five strategies to help you work with difficult parents. This is a nine page PDF. That's a guide to help you and give you tools that you need to build better relationships and have better meetings with difficult parents. And you can get that at the private school slash parents. Also, I would love to hear from you if you're getting value from this podcast. My email address is mark.o.minkus at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K dot O dot M-I-N-K-U-S at gmail.com. Let me know how it's going with a strategy that you are trying that you learned on an episode or just email me with your biggest pain point 
that you're experiencing right now, and that can help me better serve you in future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. The show notes are at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 28. You can find me on Instagram at the private school leader or on Twitter at the PS leader. And if you got value from this episode, I would love for you to share it with another leader or aspiring leader at your school. And I've been your host, Mark Minkus. I just want to say I appreciate you and all the hard work that you're doing at your school. Thank you so much for taking some of your precious time to join me here today. And I will see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.